Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Angela S. Chaya, MD, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at Children's Hospital in Aurora, Colorado. Dr. Chaya is with us today to discuss her article, Unscheduled Readmissions to the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit, Epidemiology, Risk Factors, and Variation Among Centers, published in the July 2013 Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Chaya. Thanks for having me. Um, Angela, would you give us some background to your study? What made you look at PICU readmissions? Uh, Sure. Um, Well, as you likely know, the Society of Critical Care Medicine came out with early readmissions as an ICU quality measures in the 1990s, and more recently it had been endorsed by both NACRI and the National Quality Forum as a PICU quality measure. Um, Despite this, though, unlike in the adult literature, um, the data on PICU readmissions had been fairly limited, and while I think most of us who are practicing have a general sense who might be at risk for bouncing back, we really had uh, little data to guide us on which specific characteristics were associated with risk of returning and what level of risk that might be. How did you do this study? Um, so we uh, did a retrospective cohort study um, in which we obtained four years' worth of data from a national database of PICU admissions. The Virtual PICU systems are more commonly known as VPS. And during the study period, we had over 70 centers contributing data with a variety of sizes and a mix of academic and non-academic centers. And uh, we started by identifying the population who'd be at risk of an unscheduled readmission, so those who had actually survived their first PICU admission and were transferred to a non ICU ward, um, and so we excluded those who had died during their first PICU admissions or they'd survived but been uh, discharged directly to home or transferred to another hospital. Why okay. did you exclude the children who were discharged home? Granted, there aren't very many of them, but occasionally they um, go home from the PICU and even less frequently bounce back. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This was actually raised by one of our reviewers. And, you know, at the time, we really thought of them as sort of a different population of patients um, who might return if they were discharged directly home. Um, Certainly, you know, I think some of us have had them come back and, and they undergo review, but we thought they were they were just a different population. And so that's why we excluded them from the outset. So what did you find when you looked at these uh, children who were discharged from the PICU to another place in the hospital? So well, what we did was we first determined the readmission status for each of the eligible subjects. And then the nice thing about this database we use, there's a unique identifier for each patient so we could tell if a patient had more than one ICU admission during their hospitalization. Um, and so, and because we were primarily interested in potentially preventable readmissions, we really focused on the unscheduled readmission. Um, and once we identified that, we then broke them down by their timing from their first PICU discharge, either early within 48 hours of discharge or late, um, so after that 48-hour period. Um, and what we 
found was this, so we started looking with the at the patterns of unscheduled readmissions um, in and sort of a superficial level what were their outcomes and we found that the overall rate of unscheduled readmissions is actually relatively low at 3.7% and uh, less than half of these occurred within 48 hours of leaving the ICU. Um, when we looked at the timing based on whether they were early or late, the early ones were actually readmitted within a median of 22 hours, so within the first day of discharge or transfer from the ICU, while the late ones tended to occur at a median about six days. We also tried to find what the primary diagnoses were for their first and then second um, admission. And for those who actually returned to the ICU early within that 48-hour period, they were much more likely to have the same primary diagnosis. Then when we looked at the outcomes, although we didn't do a really in-depth analysis of the association of readmission and uh, adverse outcomes, we did find that the early readmissions had a had half as many deaths as the late readmissions um, and tended to have a shorter length of stay as compared to the later readmissions. What were the risk factors you identified for requiring readmission? Um, and so when we did this, what we did was we started out with a, a pretty comprehensive list of patient characteristics and uh, admission characteristics, including you know procedures they might have received during that first admission, and um, started with a, a bivariate analysis, trying to hone in on which factors might be most significant. And um, once we narrowed down the list, we performed a multivariable analysis, um, and we actually ran this model 10 times because, as you can imagine, with so many different variables, there's a high likelihood of false positive results. And um, we wanted to try and find ones that were not only strongly associated based on our statistical cutoff, but also um, more stable. And we ultimately found um, that there were 27 characteristics that were not only significantly associated, but consistently present in our multivariate model. Um, because there's 27, I will list them all, but um, several of the patient-related characteristics that were associated with increased risk were infants younger than six months, acute and chronic respiratory disease, uh, airway stenosis, brain injury with a need for ICP monitoring, acute renal failure, several chronic conditions, um, including chronic liver disease, cerebral palsy, development and delay, underlying chromosomal abnormalities or syndromes, um, oncologic diagnoses or bone marrow transplant um, history. And then in addition to these patient-related characteristics, some of the admission um, characteristics were the patients who've been hospitalized for more than two days prior to their PICU admission um, or admitted from the general floor or who had initial unscheduled admission were all at higher risk for readmission, which is all pretty consistent with the adult literature. And then finally, the we didn't have a lot of... Um, information at the time of transfer, but we did find that a transfer during the hours outside of your 
normal daytime hours, 8 to 4, um, was associated with a greater risk of readmission with the greatest risk um, associated after midnight. Um, and then finally, um, we were interested in, in seeing not just at the patient level, but was, were there any center effects? And so when we ran our multivariable model, we did a mixed effects model um, with the center being the random effect. And then we looked at that center effect, which then accounts for any center variation in individual patient or admission characteristics. And we found that a quarter of the participating centers had outlying risks of admission. Um, about approximately two-thirds were... Uh, had a higher risk associated with that particular center. And so there's, there seemed to be some center variation in addition to the patient variation. Were you able to identify any of the center characteristics? No, that, that was one limitation of our uh, database. While they are willing to give us a summary of the uh, centers as a whole, they because they're trying to maintain, um, I guess, confidentiality. They mm -hmm. didn't want to give us too many details at the center level, mm -hmm. although it would have been really interesting because there is some data out there looking at academic versus non-academic and volume mm -hmm. um, of patients and, and things like that that would have been interesting to examine further. Yes, certainly one could imagine that things like volume and uh, size of the unit and patient numbers and turnover and so forth um, could have effects on timing of discharge from the unit, which clearly was one of your risk factors. So it would be interesting to know that. Yeah, future work. <laughs> yep, 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 lay the groundwork. So do these data that you have have implications for our current practice, a PICU length of stay? What do we do with this? Yeah, I think there's a couple things we can take away from our findings. Um, Though the rates are quite low, they're actually similar to recent adult studies, um, but they're lower than prior studies. Despite the rates being low, you know, the patients who were readmitted, especially later in their hospitalization, tended to have worse outcomes. And then because we did find some center variation accounting for patient-level factors, it suggests that there may be some room for improvement. Um, so I think, I think that it still warrants awareness about the potential for readmission and thinking about potential options for reducing that risk. Um, and some of the possible interventions that have been raised in the literature um, for these high-risk patients include keeping them for longer periods of observation beyond what you would normally think of in terms of uh, discharge criteria, um, increasing the level of supportive resources on the ward after they've been transferred in terms of nursing care, respiratory therapy, et cetera. Um, and then for those higher-risk patients or ones that are occurring during the nighttime hours, which was associated with a higher risk, initiating a mandatory ICU follow-up to assist with patient management. So maybe they'll avoid deterioration in clinical status. Um, obviously, with each of these, um, it would require additional resources, and, and really there's not much data right now at least supporting or refuting their effectiveness. But I think at minimum we can work toward consistent discharge criteria and, and making sure that there's appropriate level of resources um, prior to transfer. 
um, you asked about length of stay, and it's interesting because, as you know, the picky length of stay is used as another quality measure with a focus being on efficiency of care, but obviously if we do things like keep high-risk patients for a longer observation period, we'd have longer ICU stays. And so, or if you send them out sooner, you're going to have a higher readmission rate. Right, exactly. And so it's this tension between those two different measures um, and, and both being sort of uncertain, um, having significant uncertainty around the risk. And so um, I think the the thought around balancing those two may come down to the individual institutional priorities and availability of resources. If they're a really high-volume center, in which case they need to have um, the bed availability, um, then maybe they would accept a, a higher readmission rate as opposed to another center. You only looked at the first readmission on a for a given patient or a single PICU admission for each patient, if I read your study correctly. And uh, it seems to me from uh, my experience and probably what, what you have uh, described that there's a population of very high-risk patients who are probably... Um, we all we all have a population of patients who come in frequently, bounce back frequently. Um, it would be interesting to know whether there's anything short of the increased mark well keeping them longer or markedly increasing the resources on the floor, which is very difficult for a hospital to provide um, to prevent bounce backs in that population. Right. Yeah, I think you know it's sort of interesting because I think they. And it's been proposed as a quality measure because to some degree it's trying to conceptualize ICU medical decision-making in terms of a, a patient's readiness for discharge. And yet some of the things um, that put a patient at risk for readmission are likely things that just put them at risk for an ICU admission period. Right. And right. our ability to really modify some of those things is probably fairly limited, mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so it, it, I think it's sort of challenging. If you're going to use PICU readmission rate as a quality measure, is the goal to have zero readmissions? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think unlike some of our other quality measures and a lot of the initiatives in the, in the ICUs around the country, such as the catheter-associated bloodstream infections, um, in which our target is trying to get to zero rates, I, I, I don't think that our our target in terms of readmissions would likely be zero. Um, you and, talked a little bit about the, the tension between readmission and length of stay, and I think you're right. We could have zero readmissions if we kept every child in the PICU until they were ready to go home. Exactly, exactly. But is that a is that the best use of our resources when it comes to likely care? not? Yeah. <laughs> likely not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I don't. I, I suppose it might come back to uh, you had talked about each individual institution having to sort of determine for their institution where that balance is between length of stay and readmission, and so I suppose the readmission target as a quality measure would vary from institution to institution. 
Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I really think that the readmission rates can't stand alone as a quality measure. You know, first of all, I think the issue of appropriate adjustment tools always comes up when we mm-hmm. talk about this. And mm-hmm. and even with our our model that had almost 30 different variables, our you know, our area under the curve was only 0.72, um, and that's pretty consistent even in the adult literature. And I think when when you think about really good case mix adjustment, that that's probably not sufficient. Um, and even if it was, like you said, I think there's there's too many other factors to really take it in isolation and and say whether this rate is okay or not, um, depending on the the whole picture. Where do you think we should go as a next step? So, I, you know, I really, the when I think about this, I, I think we really need to know a lot more about what's going on really around the time of transfer as well as readmission. I think one of the challenges with the data that we used is we had pretty minimal information in terms of the clinical status at the time of transfer or uh, at the hospital level, what type of resources were available, the ICU census volume, um, those kind of variables right around that time of transfer and readmission, I think are probably going to be more informative. And unfortunately, at least to the best of my knowledge, we don't have a, a nice large-scale data source. And so I think any prospective efforts to, to better look at this issue, really needs to be able to gather that data. Um, and in the meantime, uh, you know, I, probably what occurs in a lot of units, I think, should continue sort of that unit-level review of patients coming back um, fairly quickly and, and carefully looking to see if there were things that might have prevented them from coming back. Are the later readmissions also considered a quality measure, or should they be? So I I don't think so. You know, we didn't look really in-depthly at the patient population that came in later. Um, We know that their mortality rates were higher um, and they had longer ICU lengths of stay, but my suspicion is is that that is a particularly vulnerable population um, who is at risk for ICU admission no matter what. And while the ICU may be involved with you know, decisions of transferring to the ICU or stabilization on the floor. I don't, I don't think it would be the most appropriate ICU level quality measure. Right, and as you um, talked about a little bit earlier, those patients are more likely to have a different diagnosis with the second PICU admission. Right, exactly, and that that makes it hard just to come back to the ICU and say, you know, you didn't sufficiently resolve mm-hmm. that issue before mm-hmm. sending them out or. Um, Unless our crystal ball to figure out what's going to happen gets a lot better. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. (laughs) Be useful for a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make? Um, You know, really just that I I think unplanned readmissions really still has potential as a quality measure, but before it can be tied to anything like reimbursement or even comparative reporting, I think there's still a lot of work to be done um, with respect to some of the stuff we talked about today, like re- good risk adjustment tools, 
determining which risk factors that can be readily identified at the time of transfer and, and really thinking carefully about how readmission should fit into these other quality measures like length of stay. Well, thank you very much, Angela. Well, thank you. We have been talking today with Dr. Angela S. Chaya from Children's Hospital of Colorado in Aurora, Colorado, discussing the article, Unscheduled Readmissions to the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit, Epidemiology, Risk Factors, and Variation Among Centers, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in July 2013. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. SCCM has a variety of new and updated publications for dedicated critical care experts like you. Visit SCCM's online store at www.sccm.org store. For SCCM's logo apparel, visit www.sccm.org apparel. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University Medical Center. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members.